0: For three weeks now, uh, the people of Canada have been in an uproar over their country's draconian COVID-19 mandates, which are some of the most restrictive in the Western Hemisphere. Canada's truckers are now purposely clogging the streets of uh, the nation's capital of Ottawa, as well as blocking several key U.S. border crossings. And now finally, after weeks of hiding, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has emerged like a wild-eyed rat from a conveniently timed COVID quarantine to at last smack these protesters back into submission. Sometime last month, uh, Canadian truck drivers from all across the country launched what they called the Freedom Convoy, which is a caravan of big rigs that started in Vancouver and then drove cross-country down into Ottawa. Since their arrival, the streets around the Canadian Parliament building have looked more like a roadside truck stop than a traditional western capital. Of course, the aim of these brave uh, men and women along with their supporters, is to force the Trudeau government to lift all COVID mandates, particularly those involving vaccine passports. Suddenly, it seems our good-natured northern neighbors have finally had enough. Now, in an innocuous, peace-loving country like Canada, one might think that their prime minister would just go out, shake a few hands, let these people vent over a cooler full of uh, cold Molson's, and then build a big bonfire and everyone would sing dirges together into the wee hours of the morning. But no, no. This is not your grandfather's Canada. Rather than giving an audience to the people who worked so hard to keep the Canadian economy afloat for the last two years, Trudeau and his media allies have instead gone all out, accusing him of being racists, misogynists, homophobic, you know, all the usual tropes. Meanwhile, the Canadian press, most of which is either state-owned or heavily funded by taxpayers— has been deathly careful to keep cameras away from the hundreds of black and brown protesters because, remember, Canada is one of the most diverse nations in the world. Uh, These immigrant protesters who've come out in the dead of Canadian winter, mind you, to support the truckers. Instead, they've laser-focused their reporting on the one man filmed carrying a Confederate flag among the thousands of demonstrators in Ottawa, and yet conveniently... They failed to show other protesters publicly shaming this man and forcing him to leave the demonstration. They literally told him that he wasn't welcome there. But none of this matters. Shut up and comply, racist. Now here's the interesting part. The Confederate flag this guy was carrying had an emblem of an 18-wheeler on it. Isn't that convenient? Where exactly does one get a Confederate flag with a screen-printed truck on it so quickly in Canada? This is strange, and it smacks of state-run disinformation. Meanwhile, a worldwide GoFundMe campaign raised over $10 million in support of the truck drivers. That is until uh, the company GoFundMe tried to openly steal their donations. Apparently, they're too woke to support a peaceful civil rights protest. Yet here's what scares governments on both sides of the border. Many of these donations came not just from Canadians, but from Americans. It turns out freedom is popular. Who knew? This then prompted the Trudeau government to call on Canadian intelligence as well as the American FBI to begin investigating these, quote, foreign actors, i.e. Americans, who are meddling in Canada's internal affairs. Oh, so when Western governments fund revolutions to topple governments in the Middle East, that's an example of democracy at work. But when private citizens of an allied nation support peaceful protest against an authoritarian government a few miles north of our border... That's terrorism. Got it? Meanwhile, the truckers have been crystal clear this entire time. They are not trying to overthrow the duly elected Canadian government. All they want is to have their pre-pandemic lives back. And not just some of their freedoms, all of them. They're seeking an immediate return to the old normal. No more masks, no vaccine passports, no school closures, and no travel bans. End this whole charade now, they say. After all, the science, hallowed be its name, is absolutely clear at this point. It proves that the restrictions have not worked, and in hindsight should have never been implemented in the first place. And yet, as of Monday, according to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, after a week of smearing this 100% peaceful working-class protest as a bunch of insurrectionist and Russian agents—where have we heard that before— Trudeau has invoked the Emergencies Act, which is a piece of legislation that's been on the books in Canada since the 1980s but has never before been used. In defense of this unprecedented action, Trudeau said this, quote, "This is not a peaceful protest and that his actions are about keeping Canadians safe, protecting people's jobs and restoring confidence in our institutions." This is ironic considering it's his own policies that are destroying Canadians' lives, jobs and confidence in their government. Simply put, the Emergencies Act not only allows Trudeau to use federal force to break up the protest, but uh, also allows him to, quote, broaden the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules, allowing the federal government to immediately freeze or suspend any bank account without a court order. Furthermore, he can now limit and restrict travel, impose arbitrary fines, and even levy jail time for anyone who doesn't comply with his demands. So in essence, Justin Trudeau just declared martial law all over a peaceful protest staged by people who, until a month ago, were revered as heroes for keeping Canada's grocery store shelves stocked during a pandemic. Meanwhile, the truckers remain adamant. Many say that they're not going anywhere until the mandates are lifted. This after police have already begun seizing their diesel fuel and fining them for honking their horns, as if they were violating some long-standing Canadian prohibition on possessing gasoline and making loud noises. Then, of course, last week, Trudeau went on state television to declare the protesters' views were, quote, unacceptable, adding that they were a fringe minority. And yet, judging from the crowds that gathered on overpasses all across the country to cheer on the convoy, and not to mention those who continue to amass in Ottawa, this is anything but a gathering of fringe lunatics. The truth is, Canadians, like everyone in the Western world, are sick of this shit. We're two years into this pandemic now, going on three. Enough is enough. How much longer will we be asked to live like this? This is why people in the United States and around the world are, fin- are financially supporting these brave truckers. We're sick of it too. We're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. This is evidenced by the fact that similar convoys are now forming all over the world, places like France, New Zealand, Belgium, and Australia. And yet, limp-wristed leaders like Trudeau refuse to back down. They won't concede an inch. Why is that? Because this isn't about the virus, it's about political power. Remember, this virus kills less than 1% of those who get it, and those who do die have on average four comorbidities. This should come as no surprise though, that these would-be tyrants like Trudeau and Biden, Fauci, Emmanuel Macron, are so firmly and obsessively holding on to these newfound powers as as if their lives depended on it, because their political lives quite literally do. Like Roy Horn of the uh, famous duo Siegfried and Roy, you can only contain the natural instincts of wild tigers for so long before they finally turn on you. The truth is, the Justin Trudeaus of this world have pushed too far. They've lost control and now they don't know how to right the ship. And the more they clamp down, the greater the resistance. In a lot of ways, this is a very dangerous period in which to be alive. The West is now teetering on the brink of irrelevance. We've become a parody of our former selves. This is precisely the time when events like what unfolded in 1989 in Tiananmen Square tend to happen. Which makes you wonder, if the Tiananmen Square massacre happened today, whose side would the Western press be on? That of the protesters, the peaceful protesters, or that of the Chinese government? Sadly, this is a pertinent question in the year 2022. But all that aside, this thuggish demonization of people who, like all of us, just want to be left alone is anything but indicative of composed, confident leadership. If nothing else, it it reveals just how terrified these people actually are. For technocrats everywhere, this is an oh-shit moment. Let's also pray that it's their downfall.
1: discussing with Cabinet and caucus, after consultation with Premiers from all provinces and territories, after speaking with opposition leaders, the federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. This is about keeping Canadians safe protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions. We cannot and will not allow illegal and dangerous activities to continue. The Emergencies Act will also allow the government to make sure essential services are rendered, for example, in order to tow vehicles, blocking roads. And finally, Will enable the RCMP to enforce municipal bylaws and provincial offences where required. We're not using the Emergencies Act to call in the military. We're not suspending fundamental rights or overriding the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We are not limiting people's freedom of speech. We are not limiting freedom of peaceful assembly. We are not preventing people from exercising their right to protest legally. We'll always defend the rights of Canadians to peaceful assembly and to freedom of expression. But these blockades are illegal. And if you're still participating, the time to go home is now.
0: Namaste, weirdos. It is I, Coach Duke Lowry. Welcome back to the Old Normal Podcast. A lot to talk about today. Um, we're gonna get through. Uh, we're gonna talk about Canada. What's going on up in Ottawa right now with the truckers? Also, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia? And if we have time later, we'll get into a few other uh, juicy morsels of news. So the the intro there was a sort of monologue of. A review of what uh, my Wednesday weekly column was talking about it came out yesterday. You can find that on my website, coachduke.com. And then you just heard uh, the wonder boy Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talking about how, yes, we are assuming all these emergency powers. Yes, we're going to kick the truckers out, but we're not uh, suspending freedom of speech. We still support your right to peaceably assemble. Meanwhile, I don't know if you've seen the video of what's been going on in Ottawa. It is the definition of a peaceful protest Uh, there's been no violence that anyone is aware of you have these uh you have these it looks like a street party they're they're blasting music they're dancing they're they're hugging each other there's canadians of all colors one of the most diverse countries on on earth you've got sikh uh canadians from from india Cooking big pots of curry for everybody, and and granted, this is the middle of February in Canada, right? Uh, you've got uh, Black uh, Jamaican and Caribbean immigrants all over the place hugging everyone. Uh, it, it seems like this is this is a very diverse group of people who just want their freedom back. Meanwhile, there's there's bouncy castles for the kids. They've got hot tubs set up on the street. It, it's a big It is the definition of a peaceful civil rights protest, and yet uh, uh, Trudeau can't have that. Now, Trudeau has no problem with going out and marching in peaceful protest for, like, Black Lives Matter, for example. There's video of him kneeling down and prostrating himself in the name of uh, uh, fighting racism. But when the peaceful protest, the 100% peaceful working class protest, is against his power and his policies— Uh, and the policies of the Great Reset that he's pushing, well, that is terrorism, and it needs to go. You know, (laughs) Justin Trudeau is sort of like—and there's this new strain, like Emmanuel Macron is the same way uh, in— in France, this this new strain of like limp-wristed—they're like low-sodium saltine crackers, right? Like they're just—they're just flavors. They're not flavorless. They're not even milk toast. Like no salt. There's nothing in them. They're just like a like a communion wafer. But these are the people who run us, you know. Uh, and if you go to if you do go to my website and check out the column, I've got all these pictures of Trudeau. He he seems to be sort of like a master of disguise. It's like him in blackface. On several occasions in his younger years, there's him dressed up uh, like a Native American in this huge chief's headdress. There's him uh, dressed up in traditional Indian garb when he uh, visited India. I mean, the man looks, there's him with a cowboy hat. The man is an absolute clown. He is a, a Catholic communion wafer. And, you know, what's so dangerous about this Emergencies Act is, is it allows the government to shut down bank accounts, to cancel the insurance, not just for these truckers, but anyone that supports them. So yeah, it, it can literally, he can make sure that these truckers never work again. Think about that. And, and he talked about this in the, in the little intro there. Uh, the government can now compel tow truck drivers to move these trucks. So if the tow truck company says, no, we're not doing it, we support the truckers they can arrest and levy fines on the tow truck drivers. And then meanwhile, you know, as I talked about in the in the intro, in the monologue, they're investigating Americans and other Canadians who gave money to these truckers. Uh, he can limit travel now, uh, uh, arrest people. And again, all of this for a peaceful protest that he finds threatening. But what has him so scared is that Canadians are like all of us, are finally saying, look, enough is enough. It's been two years of this shit, right? And he admitted, and I played the clip a few weeks ago, well, 90% of Canadians are vaccinated. Then why the hell are you still closed if the vaccine works so well? You know, if you're that vaccinated, why do you care if 10% of the country doesn't get vaccinated? Why do you care if these truckers who sit in their truck cabs alone have to be vaccinated to uh, uh, to drive a truck alone. It's like these idiots you see on the, on the interstate driving along in their sedan with a mask with an N95 on in their car alone. So why can't he concede, right? I mean, these truckers have said, well, as soon as you take, get rid of the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates... We'll leave. We'll go home. That's all Trudeau has to do. He doesn't have to go in and bust heads. He doesn't have to tow their trucks away and take their diesel fuel and take their insurance and take their bank account and take their uh, ability to make a living for the rest of their lives. He doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is say, look, COVID rates are are, are uh, uh, plummeting. We're 90% vaccinated in this country. It's over. It's over. That's all he has to say, because it is over. But people like him are just grasping at straws, uh, uh, like mental patients trying to hold on to the power. Got to have the power. But the, but the real reason behind this is, and, and this is Great Reset shit, and we'll get into this eventually in the coming uh, months on the podcast when we touch on the Great Reset, But and Trudeau is heavily uh, involved in that with the World Economic Forum. Uh but the reason that he won't concede is because the mandates and the restrictions, both in Canada and in the United States and all over the Western world, were never meant to go away. The mandates and the restrictions were always meant to, to be permanent. What I've been telling you for upwards of two years now, once you give, give away your liberty, once you give away your freedom, it is nearly impossible without massive protest, uh, like we're seeing in Canada or, let's hope it doesn't come to this, violence. Because because tyrants do not give back the liberty they take from you. They just don't. History has proven this over and over and over again. Meanwhile, in this week, the province of Ontario came out and said that uh, they are going to lift all the... Mac- uh, vaccine and mask mandates starting on March 1st. So they they give you a little carrot, and then the province gives you a carrot, and then Trudeau comes in with the stick. Now, what they're doing, and we're kind of doing this here in America, is they're they're temporarily lifting the mandates. They're giving you some of the freedoms back, but not all of them. Um, They're lifting it to appease these truckers, to break it up, to make them feel like they won, but then they're going to come back later and clamp down again. Uh, so mark my words. Within two to three months after March first, so so by May or June, Ontario will have will put the mass mandates back in place, or the vaccine mandates, if not both. Because what they're you know, again that they lift when when they lift, and what I to tell you a few weeks ago, when they lift these mandates, when when Fauci finally says, "Okay, we can uh, go back to normal now. the The virus is over. My virus has, has run its course." Uh, when he finally says that, we have to stay on his ass politically. We have to continue to be vigilant. Because these people, they're, they're like cicadas, right? Like those of you who live in parts of the country who have these cic- cicada swarms every five to seven to nine years, the cicadas don't die. They just go burrow underground and, hide for, and hibernate for five, six, seven years, however long it is, and then they swarm again. So what they're doing when they lift these mandates, when they, when they give you a little bit of your freedom back and, and you, know, uh, you feel like you're unshackled, they're just going underground. They're hiding and they're waiting for their next move. So we have to stay on offense. We have to continue to pursue these, these, these criminals through, through learning the information, learning their tactics, knowing how they attack us, how they're removing our freedoms, how we're being assaulted politically and standing up to them and spreading the word so other people wake up and realize what has happened to them in the last two years uh, while they've been sucking down Domino's Pizza and watching Netflix. And, you know, the, the same thing is happening here. Uh, recently, we've had all these announcements that places like D.C. and Philadelphia and Chicago and, and some, uh, California are lifting the, they're, they're lifting the mask mandates and they're lifting the vaccine mandates here as well. Well, isn't that convenient? Why would, they, why would they do that? Well, these Democrats, and they're all Democrat-controlled cities and states, they have seen the internal polling. The majority of Democrats now, I believe it was like 70% last poll, like 73% last poll I saw, are ready for this to be over. They say it's over. They're tired of it. They're sick of it. Let's end it. Independence, it's even higher. And, of course, Republicans have been over it for a long time. So they see the political beatdown that is coming for them in November if they don't lift their boot off your neck. But what they're going to do, again, mark my words, they're going to they're they're let you out. They're going to let you be free. And they're going to hope that you forget what they did to you for the last two years. We cannot forget. We must punish them at the ballot box. And this is the this comes on a pause. I mean, this is this is what the truckers have done, not just for Canada, but for the world in Canada. Again, a place that's 90 percent vaccinated. Um, now, two thirds of the people say, look, it's time to end the vax mandate. It's time to end the mask mandate. Two thirds of the people over 60 percent or upwards of almost pushing 70. They say, look, this is over. We're done with it. We're tired of it. Let us go. Now, CNN did a fact check on that. Oh, no, that's not what they said. They still support Trudeau. And they, and no, what, what, the, what the fact check didn't, the people are 90% vaccinated. Yes, they do support uh, the idea of getting vaccinated and, and uh, uh, requesting people uh, get vaccinated and, uh, you know, selling that to the public. But they're tired of the mandates and the lockdowns. And one of the things they said in this poll overwhelmingly is the 10% of Canadians, just like the 25% of Americans, who are not vaccinated, at this point, it's been free and available for a year pl- a year plus. Anybody can get it. The people who don't have it now are not going to get it. On top of that, case numbers are falling. The rest of the country's vaccinated. At this point, who gives a shit? Let's just go back to normal. But they can't let you go back to normal because they have to have control. You have to obey. And, and, and what the truckers have done in Canada, this is a great example of what a small proportion of society can do. You know, depending on who you talk to, between 3 and 10% of the colonial Americans supported the Revolutionary War, supported breaking away um, from England. Of course, that number went went up as, as the war um, got underway. But it, just a tiny proportion, even if it's just 10% of Canada... Or the 25%, which is much larger in America of people who are not vaccinated, who are not going to get vaccinated no matter what you throw at me. uh, We can we we have a sizable voice and we can change hearts and minds. And it is an information war. And that is what we uh, are engaged. That's what I'm engaged in with this podcast. And that's what I hope you're engaged in as well. It shows the power of the individual. But, but um, again, just like the Democrats are letting up now, once the election is over, next winter, if we put these people back in power, the Maxine Waters and the Gavin Newsoms and all these people, if we put these people back in power, they're going to clamp down again. They just hope that between now and November, you forget what they've done to you for the last two years. Because again, this is not about the virus. It's not about the virus. It's about political power. Now, real quick, before we get into Russia, uh, now that so so these pe- protests in Canada have been perfectly peaceful, right? Now that he's uh, invoked the Emergencies Act, what they're going to do is they're going to try to um, they're going to put so much pressure. It's called kettling. They're going to they're going to put so much pressure on these uh, protesters that they hope that they lash out and, and commit acts of violence against the the uh, The Mounties or the the local police up in in Ottawa. So they have to, (laughs) they really have to be vigilant and on their toes, and mindful of their actions. But if they don't, if they're not able to engage them in violence, what they're going to do is they're going to either send in um, opposition forces like 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 Antifa type groups to dress as these people and then uh, uh, cause violence. Or they'll send in state operatives, like what happened at January 6th with Ray Epps, um, and they'll stage some, you know, a, a bunch of uh, anarchists uh, dressed in all black. will start beating police with uh, flagpoles or something, and all of a sudden it's violence, the most violent thing ever. They're trying to overthrow the country. We've got to crack down. Then they send, then they send the RCMP in there to bust heads. So be looking for strange activity. There's already been some up there where uh, it gives the government a pretext to. Uh, um, really go after these people, because right now uh, they don't have the moral high ground. The government does not have the moral high ground. The truckers do, and so they've got to turn that around in the eyes of the public and the eyes of the world. Okay, now the next big story this, this week, uh, over the past couple of weeks, has been Russia and Ukraine. We haven't really talked about that on the podcast. But what's going on there is it, it, it's— indicative of the failure of American foreign policy, particularly since uh, the Cold War. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but as the Soviet Union was collapsing, uh, several of our diplomats, including the Secretary of State under uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, uh, James Baker, had made promises, or um, he wouldn't say it's a promise, but but, but they made comments— to uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, saying that, look, if if we can get East Germany, uh, if we can unify Germany again, we're not going to push NATO. Well, yes, we'll bring East Germany into Germany. That will be part of NATO, but we're not going to expand NATO beyond that. In fact, the the phrase he used was not another inch beyond uh, the German border. However, since then, if you look at a map of NATO, we've in, we we have taken in. Uh, just about every one of the former uh, Eastern Bloc Soviet republics in Eastern Europe. So whether that was an official state promise or not, um, we have worked very hard, very tirelessly to surround Russia. Now, and and look, Russia's done the same thing. They've signed uh, uh, accords with us. I believe it was the Belgrade Accord or something, where, where they went back on their word as far as Uh, Ukrainian territorial sovereignty, particularly with Crimea. But to understand what's going on here in in Ukraine, we have to look at this from the Russians' perspective, right? Uh, I mean, we have bases all over Eastern Europe. We have bases in Japan and South Korea. We have bases in Central Asia. We've basically surrounded Russia uh, on all sides. Of course, they... (laughs) Of course, they're they're going to be agitated by that. I mean, and so as as we kind of pressure Ukraine to possibly join NATO, or we we float the idea. I mean, our thing is, well, it's not up to you, Putin. It's not up to us. It's up to the Ukrainian people. Well, Putin has a right. The the Russians have a right to want a buffer state. They have one in Belarus, just north of uh, Ukraine. It makes sense that they don't want NATO right on their border, particularly on, their, uh, on Russia's western border, uh, Eastern Europe's eastern border. I mean, how would we feel? And, and Putin said this the other day, and I can already hear some of you, oh, agent of Putin, saying to Putin, oh, Russian agent. Like, no, how would you feel as an American if the Russians uh, put their troops— on the Canadian border, or in northern Mexico, or like what happened uh, in the 1960s with the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's the exact same thing. All Russia wants is is an assurance that Ukraine will never be a NATO state, and we won't give it to them. Well, it's up to to Ukraine. And, And this is what's so frustrating, right, is like we got all this going on in the world, and we're still fighting the Cold War. I mean, think about that. Russia is a problem, right? They're like a, they're like a sweat bee that's in your face, and it's annoying. Meanwhile, you've got China, which is like a murder hornet over here, like a swarm of murder hornets, uh, you know, just devouring everything, all the rare earth minerals, taking over Africa, building bases in, in, in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, about to take Taiwan spreading their gain-of-function viruses all over the world, intentionally or unintentionally. But we're worried about the sweat bee. It, it makes no sense. We're fighting yesterday's war. We're fighting the war of—we're uh, still fighting the Cold War for no reason. The Soviet Union fell. Russia, Putin is an awful guy. He is an autocrat strongman. Uh, but he has outsmarted our diplomats um, at every turn, it seems. We're still fighting yesterday's war. We have to, the, the future is not in the old world. The future is not particularly in Eastern Europe. The future is in Asia. Why are we still doing this? Why do we have such a hard on for Russia? The Soviet Union is gone. We should be cel- We should we celebrated in the '90s. We should still we should be still celebrating that today. There's no reason we, that our uh, uh, attitude toward Russia should be this negative. And on top of this the Ukraine we are oh, protecting democracy again we're just like we protected democracy with invading Iraq yes we protect it by killing you the Ukraine is not a democracy You know we, the west staged a color revolution a coup there in I believe it was 2014 right and, and and because again why because we're trying to surround Russia So we are the aggressors here and 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 NATO is not about democracy anyway. I mean, look at Turkey. People forget Turkey is a NATO ally. Erdogan is certainly not uh, the, the democrat, uh, democratically elected, uh, peace-loving president of Turkey. They are an autocracy. They are an authoritarian state. So it's fine when the uh, authoritarians are on our side, uh, but oh, Putin—he's—he's he's the worst. He's the worst dictator since since uh hitler so so my point is just leave ukraine alone who cares who cares but why did why why is the hype going on because the the poll numbers are tanking they know they're going to lose in november Uh, uh the economy is teetering on the brink of absolute ruin inflation's through the roof how do you you have to create the distraction the best distraction and, and the best way to uh, uh, pump up the economy has always been, in the last 60 years, especially in the Cold War years, another war. And that's what we're looking at. The difference is uh, we can't even win a war a bunch, with a bunch of sheep herders in Afghanistan. What the hell do you think you're going to do with the Russians who have nuclear weapons? And we also have to give up this stupid idea that we are going to somehow stage a regime change in Moscow like we did in, in Kiev and have a pro-West government in in Russia. That is not going to happen. Because what we're actually doing is we're driving the Russians into bed with the Chinese. The the, the other superpowers of the world, the Russians and the Chinese, uh, along with Iran, are now cooperating uh, after decades of of. of looking at each other with reservations. I mean, if you remember, the Soviet Union and Communist China broke up, they split in their ideologies. They were actually enemies of one another, and the CIA was playing them off against each other, which was a very smart tactic. We were more aligned with the Communist Chinese at the time, and uh, the Soviet Union was more aligned with India. And so so what now we're, now we're bringing our two biggest enemies together. We're forcing them to work with, each, uh, with one another because, again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This didn't have to happen. But again, we're still fighting a 20th century war in the old world. Dumb. Stop it. And it's over a country, Ukraine, that doesn't matter. The future, like I said, is in Asia. It's China and India. India and Russia, and here's the problem. We're trying to bring India into our sphere of influence, right? Uh, But Russia and India have been longtime allies. And so we're going to have to sort of, it's going to be awful hard for us to convince the Indians to be on our side against the Russians and the Chinese. The Indians are against the Chinese. It's it's multidimensional chess here. And again, we're playing checkers in Eastern Europe. Meanwhile, you know, ignoring the, uh, the hulking giant of China the whole time. So why is, why is Putin doing this now, right? Why, why is Putin making this power play now over the Ukraine thing? Because our houseplant of a president, Joe Biden, another low-sodium saltine cracker, is so weak— I mean, just look at Afghanistan. They, they watch. They, we have a guy bumbling around, doesn't know what day it is, doesn't know his own name, thinks his sister is his wife, uh, uh, who, who, falling down the stairs. I mean, it, it's pathetic. It's embarrassing and it's pathetic. And you have a bigger idiot in the number two spot uh, saying things like, now is the time to do what we have been doing and that time is every day. Can't even form a sentence, can't even form an intelligible thought. They see it, what happened in Afghanistan. They see the inflation going through the roof. Uh, they see the uh, uh, internal racial and cultural divisions that uh, they're pushing here in this in this country. And the Russians and Chinese are just sitting back. I mean, they're not. They don't have to do anything. They're just sitting back, rubbing their hands and laughing at us. I mean, folks, if you don't think that Xi Jinping and and Vladimir Putin. And their intelligence agencies are smarter than the idiots, than, than the woke ideologues that we have in our military, in our intelligence offices, and, and in our administration. What have you been looking at? It's embarrassing. We're more worried about, about, about designing new pregnant women combat outfits than we are about... Hey, China is uh, building bases in Africa. Hey, they're about to build a naval base on the Atlantic Ocean. They're so scared of our military diversity. All right, so uh, I want to end with this. So the, the last several weeks, this podcast has been exclusively about COVID and about Fauci and his corruption. Why is that? Why am I focusing so much on Fauci? You know, I sort of liken it to, there's a, there's a lot of people that we need to focus on if we're ever going to get our pre-pandemic lives back. And I sort of look at him, I, I said, I think in the first podcast, that he is sort of the first political wall we have to break down. He's sort of the pawn at the front of the, of the chessboard. But I sort of liken it to what Dave Ramsey says. You know, Dave Ramsey's the financial pay-off-your-debt guy. I'm debt-free. And he says, pay down your, first, your smallest debt first. Whatever the smallest debt you owe is, pay that one off first. Work on the bigger ones later. And so the way I look at Fauci is he's the smallest, most, most accessible demon that we have on our backs. We have to get rid of him. Let's exercise him first politically. And once we get Fauci off our backs and and get his knee off our throats, then we can go for the bigger fish in the pond, right? The Bill Gates and the Klaus Schwab and the Xi Jinping and all these people. And notice Fauci's been silent the last few weeks. I mean, that man is running scared. It's clear now that his gain-of-function experiments are likely uh, either tied to or the funding that he gave the Wuhan Institute of Virology is tied to the sorts of things that could have created this virus uh, that is now sweeping around the world. And real quick, I want to say this too. Uh, I don't have time to go into it. I'm still kind of looking into it. But I read some very disheartening news from a uh, Chinese dissident uh, dissident virologist from uh, Hong Kong who defected to the United States. Uh, She said that even prior to the COVID pandemic, the Chinese Communist Party was planning on using the Beijing Olympics to spread a virus around the world. I don't know if this is true or not. I can't verify it. But two points I want to make that have come up in the last um, few weeks. Number one. The Chinese have recently discovered something called Neocove, which is a um, bat coronavirus out of Africa that they have taken back. And this is confirmed in, in mainstream news. They've taken back to Wuhan Institute of Virology. Wonderful. Uh, this virus is very similar. It spreads like COVID, um, but it is very similar to the virus that causes Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS. Now, MERS has... About a 20 to 30 percent, 20 to 30 percent. This one has less than one. SARS CoV 2 has less than one percent death rate. Uh, Marin's has about a 20 to 30 percent death rate. Now, this virus has not been able to jump to humans, but what they have said about the NeoCove uh, is that it is only a few mutations away from being able to affect humans. And they've taken it back to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Oh, joy. But what this uh, Chinese scientist was saying uh, that defected to the United States, and who actually worked in the Wuhan Institute of Virology at one point, she was saying that um, they were looking at particularly a virus called the Lassa virus, which uh, typically has a very low death rate as well, like 1% or so. But she said that uh, they are... Working on getting that death rate higher. Now, there is a drug produced by Johnson and Johnson that is extremely effective. They've already found so that they've found that they're engineering this new virus, and they've already found the cure for it, which is a Johnson and Johnson drug that is used to uh, treat a certain type of um, myeloma, I believe. And the Chinese for several years have been buying up all of this drug. Again. They manufacture all the drugs. They can just take them. But they've been stockpiling this drug when no one else is. And uh, it struck me as, isn't that interesting that while the whole world's weakened by COVID and the economies are collapsing, I mean, it's, it sort of reads like a James Bond novel, but it, it's, and it's extremely frightening, but it makes sense that a government like China uh, or any other hostile government, but China would be the one that would do something like this. Would hoard would would create a new virus with a fairly high death rate, let's say of twenty percent, release it on the world. Meanwhile, they and their people have all the uh, the cure for it. Isn't that a fascinating scenario? I'm not saying it's going to ha- going to happen. I pray to God it doesn't happen. Um, I've got to look into it more before I really really dig deep into it in a podcast episode. But I just want to put that out there that. You know, I talked about how they're going to clamp down again. Don't let, don't forget about what these people did to you for the last two years. Our politicians in the West. But if you see a um, another, I would not be surprised to see another pandemic of some sort, even if it's not coming out of China, even if it's not either of the scenarios we've talked about. I would not be surprised to see another pandemic. Um, real or staged, happen again in the next two to three years because they cannot let you go back to normal. They're not going to allow you to. And if it's not a pandemic, they'll say that the Russians knocked our power grid out or something. Uh, They they are not going to, they they are never, you are never going back to the pre-pandemic life unless you stand up for your rights. So until next week, now is the time to do what we have been doing in that time. Friends, as every day, I wish you health, success, and freedom. And as always, namaste for now.